Take out your Bibles and open them up with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible today, would you please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you? Open it up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. Matthew, chapter 16. Now, I want to start off by reading the verses that we'll cover today, and then we'll go back and look at them in greater detail. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Verse 21, Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. We pick up our study here today where we left off last week. And if you were here last week, this is a little refresher. If you weren't here, it's important background information to know what just took place. Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and there, in the midst of all of this idolatrous worship that was going on, he asked them two questions. The first was, who do people say that I am? And they gave uh, uh, several different answers as to what the world thought of Jesus and who Jesus was. But the more important question, he said, but you, who do you say that I am? And it was to that question that Peter responded, and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, blessed are you. Blessed are you because you didn't come up with that answer on your own. God revealed that to you. And we are blessed when we come to that understanding of who Jesus is, and we make him Lord of our lives. But Jesus goes on, and in our text today that we're going to look at, we're going to see that there's, there is a cost associated with following Jesus. Jesus, in Luke chapter 14, tells his disciples, you must count the cost. You need to know what it means to follow me. There's a price that he was willing to pay for us, but there is a price that we must be willing, as his followers and his disciples, to pay ourselves. Now, there's a little disclaimer as we begin our study today that I know that as we go through this, especially the first part of the message today, there's going to be some of you out here who aren't going to like what you're going to hear. There's going to be some that will be, become kind of uneasy and squirming in your seats a little bit and thinking, I, gotta, I, don't, I don't need to listen to this. I want to get out of here. And I would just ask that you just stay put and you let the Holy Spirit work because the message in its totality is one that changed my life, radically changed my life. 
So as we look at this together, we begin back again in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. From that time, from the time that we left off last week, from this time now that they have, they have this understanding as the Lord has revealed it to them, God has shown them this truth of who Jesus is. From that time, it says that he is showing his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer, he must die, and be raised again on the third day. Now, he's showing them, and he's describing to them now very plainly what must happen. It's not the first time that Jesus has referred to this. He's referred to his suffering, death, and resurrection on numerous times before, but he's used symbolism. He's talked to them in, in kind of hidden ways. Even last week we talked of that. He said, this adulterous generation will get no more signs other than the sign of Jonah. And we spoke that that meant Jesus was speaking of his burial into the ground, and then three days later he would rise again from the dead. That's what he was speaking of. They missed it, but that's what he was pointing to. It tells us in John's gospel that Jesus said, you tear this temple down and in three days I will build it up again. And he was speaking of his own body, that when he would die and be buried again, three, three days later he would rise. But the listeners around him didn't understand that. They were thinking that he was speaking of the physical temple there in Jerusalem. John also records for us something that Jesus said, again, his disciples hearing, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He was speaking there of his own crucifixion. Again, the disciples missing those direct or indirect ways of him pointing to the very things now that he is directly saying to them. And we see by Peter's reaction that they, didn't, they hadn't embraced this truth up until this point. They were looking for, as we've mentioned before, a different Messiah. They were looking for Jesus when he came, when the Messiah came, to be something different. The, the one that would relieve them of the oppression of the Romans and lead them back into world superiority and to take care of all of their, their physical needs. Missing, again, the spiritual aspect that Jesus came the first time to pay the penalty for our sins. And he says that he must go he must suffer and be killed and be raised up again. Things that must happen. Jesus' death was necessary. It had to take place. The Father planned it. We see in 1 Peter chapter 1 that it's, it's told to us that, that Jesus' death on our behalf was, was foretold, was planned by the Father before the foundation of the world. This redemptive act of God was set into motion before the foundation of the world. Not only did the Father plan it, but the forerunners predicted it. Isaiah 53, we've spoken of this before. Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesying that the Messiah would suffer and die in our place. Psalm 22 graphically describes crucifixion of the, of the Messiah centuries before the Romans invented crucifixion as a means of execution. But not only did the Father plan it and the forerunners predict it, Primarily and most importantly, our forgiveness is predicated on it. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But it's not the shedding of any blood. It's not the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats. The Bible says that can't take away your sin. 
Me dying in your place can't pay for your sin. I'm a sinful man. I can't even pay for my own sin debt, much less yours. It took the perfect Lamb of God, the Son of God, becoming one of us, living a perfect sinless life and dying in our place. But he had to die in order for our sins to be forgiven. But not only was his death necessary, his resurrection was necessary. He said, I must go, suffer, be killed, and be raised up on the third day. His resurrection is necessary for our forgiveness as well. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that without it, without the resurrection, our faith is worthless and we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. If Jesus is still dead and in the grave, Paul tells us we above all men are the most to be pitied because we've, we've, we've sold out our lives for nothing. The resurrection proves that his, that his sacrifice on our behalf was received as payment in full by the Father for our sin. Death is defeated. The grave is defeated. His death and resurrection were necessary. He said, I must go. Again, taken, taken aback, Peter tells us in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Peter took Jesus aside. Literally means that he caught hold of him. He forcefully grabbed Jesus and said, come here, Jesus, we need to talk. <laughs> Pulls Jesus aside and it says he rebuked Jesus. Yikes. <laughs> Rebuking the Son of God, rebuking the one who you just said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now let me tell you something. Just a little friendly advice from Pastor Brett. Don't ever rebuke God. Don't ever feel that your counsel is something that he requires. We are not here to instruct the Lord. Job found that out. Job thought that he would give a piece of his mind to the Lord. If you've read Job, the, the, the story of Job, Job was going through tremendous trials and difficulties, some that, we, that we, we will probably never have to face. And it gets to the point where Job lets the Lord know a few things, uh, what's on his mind. And God's reaction to Job is recorded for us in Job chapter 40. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Anybody else glad God doesn't talk to you that way when you step out of line? And I, wow. I, I can only imagine Job in this, you know, do you have an arm like God? God like going, you want to arm wrestle over this? You want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me, Job? Sin, Peter, the same thing. Feeling that he can rebuke Jesus. Our job is never to force our agenda onto God. Our role always is to fully submit to his agenda for us. Peter didn't do that. 
Peter pulls Jesus aside, rebukes him. Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. Wow. Over the top? I, I mean, Peter, yes, out of line. I don't think any of us would argue with that. But maybe he's just a little overzealous, misguided. Seems like that, like Jesus just needs to you know, relax just a little bit. That, get behind me, Satan. We need to understand what is going on here. I don't think Peter had any idea what was going on, but Jesus understand, understood fully what was happening. He said, get behind me, Satan, because Satan was using Peter to tempt Jesus the same way that he himself tempted him in the wilderness. He was coming with the temptation again that there's some way that, that Jesus could earn the loyalty and allegiance and love of the world without going to the cross. And that's what he was bringing. That is the temptation that he was bringing again to Jesus. Here's, here's another way out. And Jesus sees it right through and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting God's interests first. You're setting man's interests first. Natural man wants another way other than the cross. In our flesh, we all want another way to God without the cross. Because if we come face to face with the cross, we have to come face to face with our sinfulness. We have to come face to face with what it took for us to be forgiven. And that's not a fun place to go for anybody. And the world, instead of going there, instead of putting themselves face to face with their sin, instead of putting themselves face to face with a crucified Christ because of their sin, says, you know what, I'll do, I'll, I'll, I want to look at God a different way. I want to look at God, you know, this love, 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 grandfather in the sky that, that'll give me anything I want and will be totally tolerant of my totally poor behavior. I can do anything I want and he's just going to wink you know, maybe, maybe scold me a little bit from time to time. But you know when, when things get really bad, he'll just come in and bail me out. And the cross will wear it around our neck as a symbol of, of just love. We don't want to, it's not a symbol of sin or shame. It's a symbol, symbol of love. Yes, it is an amazing symbol of love. But Christian, we can never lose sight of the fact that the cross, the blood of Jesus, is a symbol of of sin and shame, my sin and shame, because it's my sin and shame that put him there. It's my sin that he suffered and died for. If I take anything away from that, I cheapen what he did. The cross was an instrument of a brutal, bloody, horrific death, and he did it willingly so that he could take my sin and shame away. We need to come, we can never leave that truth. Everyone needs to come face to face with that. The thought of the perfect Son of God becoming sin for us should cause us to recoil. But it's a glorious truth that He was willing to do this. It is a symbol, yes, of sin and shame and a symbol of love, and it's a symbol of life and the forgiveness of our sins. But in our flesh, and in the flesh of the world, we want another way. 
Because we don't want to have to face that, but we must. But not only that, the same is true with discipleship, following Jesus. We want in our flesh another way other than carrying our own cross. But Jesus said, just as there was no other way for our sins to be forgiven, there's no other way to follow him. He says, verse 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The first part of his statement is voluntary. If anyone wishes, if anyone desires to come after me, that's a voluntary act. That's not forced on anyone. Everyone has a choice if they will follow Jesus or reject him. But, Jesus said, if you choose to follow me, there are requirements to following me. You don't get to follow me based on your set of requirements and what you like. So if you're going to follow me, you must. Same word used there, you must, just as it said, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. We must as followers of him. This is a radical command of Christian life. One that is hardly talked about. But I don't know how we can gloss over this. Because Jesus said, this, this must be us. First of all, he says that we need to deny ourselves. That word means to disown, disregard, forsake, renounce ourselves. First, everyone must come to the point of renouncing our self-righteousness. That, that we do not bring anything of any merit or good to God in and of ourselves. We're not saved because of the goodness in us. We are saved strictly because of the grace of God that was poured out for us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit, that means an understanding of our own spiritual bankruptcy. That we have nothing to offer we come sinful men and women to a perfect God and receive the free gift of salvation. It's only when we realize how poor we are that we can recognize the riches that are ours in Christ. It's only when we come to the understanding of how sinful and deserving of damnation that we are that we can know how precious forgiveness is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need to deny our self-righteousness. But it goes further than that. Deny yourself. It does not mean to deny something or to deny some behavior. It means to deny ourself. Deny our self-rule. We need to get off the throne of our lives. It doesn't mean that we lose our identity in totality. When we come to, come to Jesus, we still are, I'm still, I'm still Brett. I'm still that one that was uniquely created by God, fearfully and wonderfully made. The one that it says that, that God knew all about me before I was even coming together in my mother's womb. We don't lose that part of our identity. But there's a part of us that must die. There's a part of us that must change. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He took our sin in his body so that we're dead to that old self and alive now to righteousness. Perhaps you've heard of the story of St. Augustine. Before, Before he came to know the Lord, he was a very sinful man. He had many mistresses, led a very sinful lifestyle, But once he came to the Lord, he was radically changed. And that old man died, and he was a new creation in Christ. And the story goes that one day he was walking down the street, and he looked ahead on the street, and walking directly towards him was one of his old mistresses. And he did an immediate about-face and started walking the other direction. And she cried out, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And as he sped away, he says, but it is not I. (laughs) That man is dead. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man to follow him, he calls him to die. To die to himself. To give over the controls of his life. We need to take ourselves off of the throne of our lives and put Jesus in his rightful place. He rules, he reigns, he does whatever he wants to do with us. We reject Denying ourselves is rejecting our self-rule, our self-will, our self-sufficiency, and subjecting ourselves completely to the lordship and the resources of Jesus. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Second, it says, and take up his cross. We need to deny ourselves. We need to take up our cross. Now, this is a misunderstood thing, taking up our cross. Taking up our cross is not reaching some super spiritual plane. Taking up our cross is not going through difficulties and trials and pain and suffering that everyone goes through. It is not physical illness. It is not the fact that your boss may be a jerk. Carrying your cross is not your mother-in-law. Oh, the cross I bear. No, taking up your cross is the suffering that is ours because of our relationship with Jesus. Let me repeat that. Taking up our cross is the suffering that we face because of our relationship with Jesus. The persecution that we might face, the rejection that might come our way, the ridicule because of our relationship with Jesus, because of the stance that we take. If you're you're being persecuted at work and no one there knows you're a Christian, that's not your cross. 
It's because of our relationship with Jesus. Some, the cross that they're called to carry is to give up their very life. There were some on Thursday morning who woke up in Roseburg, Oregon, who didn't know that that would be the price they would be asked to pay that day. But there were those who bore their cross that day and are now in the presence of the Lord Jesus. The cross that we are asked to carry will vary from person to person. But people are willing to pay a high price for the things that they value. People are willing to give everything that they have, even die in their pursuit of things, money, possessions, relationships. There's people that value very good things so much that they're willing to give their lives for it. We're here today, every one of us in this room, having the freedoms that we still enjoy in this country because there are those who valued freedom and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness so much that they were willing to die for it so that we can be here. So, so people are willing to pay very high prices for the things they value. So I ask you, what is of most value to you? What is of greatest value to you? And what are you willing to give up for that? What are you willing to do for that? Not every believer will be asked to give their lives. As again, those who did on Thursday here in our country but the thousands and thousands who have given their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ just in the last year or two around the world. Not all of us, I pray none of us, but not all of us certainly will have to come to that, but we need to be willing to. Don't, don't expect that, okay, well, I'll just wait until that day and then I'll, then I'll make that... Don't. Again, that Thursday morning, Thursday morning, how many of them knew? None. The only reason they were able to do what they did is because they had already made that commitment that to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And they were able to do that. We should never be surprised by the trials when they come and the difficulties and the persecutions when they come because of our stance and our faith and our, and our belief and the walk that we take. Peter said, in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I was having a talk with my kids on the way home last night, and they were, they were asking some questions and difficulty, and my son especially was really wrestling with this whole thing that took place this past week, and, and what, if, what if that happened, and you know, I don't know, and, and, and everything, you know, I love God, but, but if, that was ever, if that ever happened, Dad, I gotta be honest, that scares me. I said, dude, I'm, I'll be honest with you, right now, I'm, I, I wouldn't wanna go do that. But here's the truth of it, and here's what Peter is saying, that if you are reviled for the name of Christ, if that should ever come, 
and you've made that commitment and you're sold out and, and again, to you to live as Christ and to die as gain. That is how you live your life and you move forward. You will be given what you need to go through that walk. You looking down a barrel of a gun and you're asked that question, you will be given the, the most amazing peace you've ever had in your life. So the Holy Spirit just gives you everything that you need to take that final step home. To come to Jesus is to come to the end of yourself. To desire Christ and his righteousness so much that you're willing to make any sacrifice for him. To follow him, to take the steps that he took, to follow the example that he gave to us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. We've been purchased with a price, purchased out of sin and death. We're not our own anymore. We need to give that up. It costs us everything. But in return, we gain everything. I don't know, anybody else find the pharmaceutical commercials extremely humorous? I mean, it just cracks me up that, you know, they go through this at the beginning. You know, if you suffer from hangnails, you can take this drug and it will take care of the hangnails. And then at the end... You know, you'll probably suffer drowsiness and sleepless nights and, and nightmares and ble bleeding profusely through your ears and nose and, and, and falling unconscious on da, 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 and probably die, but you won't have hangnails, right? I mean, doesn't that just crack you up? I mean, you take this and here's a whole list of the horrible things that might happen. I say that because I know when we talk through this at first... This could be almost like one of those things. Okay, come to Jesus and you have eternal life, but here's all the side effects. <laughs> but that's not at all, that is not at all the message. That is not at all what Jesus says. Look what he says next. Verse 25, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. If you wish to hold on to what you're building, your empire, everything that you have, you're going to lose it. What is it? What's the it factor Jesus is talking about here? It, suke is the Greek word. It means totality, the totality of your life. You're going to hold on to this. I have my plans. I have my dreams. I have my goals. Jesus says, you hold on to that, you're going to lose it. But... Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever lets go, denies himself, takes up his cross, follows me, will find it. Again, it, the fullness and totality of life. I've shared parts of my testimony with you over the past few years, if you've been here. I, I grew up in a Christian home I, there's not a time in my life I could point to a time when I didn't know that Jesus died for me. But there was an extended part of my life, 11, 12 years, where I walked away from God. I walked out into the world. I lived after the world. I chased after my dream. I was building an empire. I had a plan. 
And I was well on my way in that plan. My plan was to retire probably about the age I am right now and play golf the rest of my life. That was my plan. And I was having great success. I was very successful early on in, in, in business, retirement plans, I had investments, I had all of these things that were working, and I had the audacity to believe that God was blessing the whole thing, regardless of how I was living, because everything seemed to be working out just to my plan. But there came a time when my life was coming off the rails. I was dealing with some difficulties and some trials that I just couldn't, couldn't handle anymore. And I came to the end of myself, and there, there was one night in particular, I'm sitting on the couch, my, Christina and I had just had a, another fight, and I'm just, I'm tired of this, and, uh, and all that, and I'm flipping through the channels, and for whatever reason, it stopped on a, Char Charles Stanley was teaching, maybe it was because he said, now listen, and I'd stopped. <laughs> but the message that night, it may have been broadcast around the world, but there was an audience of this guy. That was for me, and it was this message right here. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to deny yourself. You need to let go of all of your plans, everything that you've built for yourself. You need to take up your cross, and you need to follow him. You need to, you need to trust completely that he has a better plan. He has a better way. And I... I, he said, he got to the end of the message and he said, now if that is you and you know that, that God's speaking to you, and like I said, it, it, it's, just, it's just me, Chuck, and the Lord right now. And I, I knew that I was being called back. And he said, this is the scariest prayer you're ever gonna pray, but it's the most glorious prayer you'll ever pray. And it was that prayer of total surrender of my life, letting go of it all and saying, Lord, it's all yours. And during that prayer, I remember just praying, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this is going to mean tomorrow. I don't know what this means going forward, but God, I'm tired of my stuff. I'm tired of this, and you take it. And then when it was all done, I opened my eye, and I'm looking around, and I'm wondering you know, what, where, where it's coming from, which direction. And it didn't happen right away, but something changed in me. And you know what? Things kept on going well. Business kept on going, and we, so much so that I started my own business. And that was blessed after the first couple of years. And, and quite a large savings, and, and like I said, retirement and all that kind of stuff. So the, I, I really felt that I was being called to, to, to move from this little store, hot tub store that we had here in Surprise, to go and open a huge showroom down right off of I-10 and the 101. Big, huge showroom. So I signed a 15-year lease, $15,000 a month. The month of our grand opening, the economy. From month number one, we never made enough money to keep the door open. From the first month. Every month, it was having to go take money out of savings, having to go get money cashing in 401ks, having to do all of this kind of stuff just to pay the, the overhead on the business and to, and to provide for my family. By the end of that year, I was down to one 401k of $20,000 left. That's all we had left. And so we moved everything out of the store. And I called up my landlord, who I still now owe $15,000 a month for 14 years. And I said, I'm closed. I said, I, 
bankruptcy doesn't do me any good, it doesn't do you any good, what would you take as a settlement so that we can call the lease paid off? He said, well, what are you offering? He wasn't very happy. What are you offering? I said, I'm not offering anything. I don't have anything to offer you. But you give me a number and I'll see what I can do to go find it. I was already thinking, who can I call? Who can I try to get a hold of? I was trying to think through all this and just praying, Lord, I gave it all to you. When I first opened this business, I told you it was yours. So it's up to you. Now, this is a multi, multi, multi-million dollar company based in Las Vegas, multiple partners, I mean, this whole thing. And he said that he'd have to call me back. Again, not, not a real happy guy at the moment. He called me back three days later. Guess what they offered me? $20,000 to call the lease paid in full. What's $20,000 to them? Nothing. It's $5,000 more than what I owed him for that month's rent already. Tell me that wasn't a supernatural thing. But what was $20,000 to me? Everything. My last dollar. And you know what? When I wrote that check and I sent it off, all of a sudden it all made sense. This is where you wanted me all along. The final death nail of my plans my dreams. You know what? For years, years, when I was amassing this dream of mine, I, would, I, I couldn't sleep at night because I was worrying about, I got to transfer this there, I got to transfer this there, I got to keep building and building and building and building. I couldn't sleep. I even went to get professional help at one time because I, I would be up till two, three in the morning every morning. I got to get up at five to go to work. I mean, it was driving me crazy. Couldn't turn my mind off. Keep building, building, building. You know what? After I sent that check off, I've never slept better in my life. <laughs> not my problem anymore. It's not my plan anymore. It's his. It's his. I have never, I have never known such love and grace and mercy. I've never, I've never felt freer because it's not my problem anymore. You know, there's this big thing, and it's even penetrating the, the, the church over this day, that you can have your best life now. Let me let you in on something. You can't. Your best life is yet to come. <laughs> we don't have that now. It's impossible to have here. Let me tell you something. If you can have your best life now, heaven is not all it's cracked up to be. I, if you can have your best life now, I don't even, forget it. I don't want my best life now. But you know what Jesus does promise us now? Is an abundant life. A life that is beyond anything that we could ask or think. And I don't know about you, but I can ask and think a lot. But he has blown away everything that I ever expected. But he had to get me to that place where that's what it took for me. I'm not telling you that that's what it's going to take for you. That's what it meant for me. I wouldn't go back. <laughs> there is no way you could get me to go back. I love the, even the experiences, the difficulties that have, that have come since then because he's the one that is responsible to take care of it. One, one, one time, 
I got to the point where I owed, I had a $300 debt that I had to pay on Monday. It's Friday. I don't have the money. This is after this has all taken place. I was on staff now as an assistant pastor, and I was working a part-time, still doing this hot tub stuff on the side, selling chemicals and fixing hot tubs and moving hot tubs just to help make some ends meet. And I had to pay this thing on Monday, $300. I didn't have it. After I was doing all the calculations and figuring it all out on my desk, I start praying. I said, Lord, you know what, what I need, and you know when I need it. And I, what am I going to do? My phone rings. Says Brett, yes. You still move hot tubs? Yes. Can you move mine tomorrow? Yes. How much do you charge? $300. Do you take cash? Yes. You know what? After I hung up the phone there, I'm crying, right? I'm like, God, you're so faithful. It dawned on me. He knew my need before I did. I didn't know I needed that $300 till I got to the end of my calculations. He knew I needed it because she was looking for my phone number to call me. That's how God is. That's how God is. He calls us to a life of denying ourselves. He calls us to a life of carrying our cross. He calls us to a life of following him, but it's a life that we will never regret. Not once. Not once. There's a song out that One of the lyrics say, pry our fingers from the earthly so that we can love your glory. We have to let go. Sometimes we have to say, all right, Lord, give him permission to rip our fingers off of it. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Walking with Jesus doesn't just mean a life of death and crosses. It means a life of power and glory, working for the kingdom of God. He says... Some are going to see this. Some are promised. He promises some of his disciples a glimpse of that power and glory, and we're going to see that should the Lord tarry. We'll get into that as we get into chapter 17 next week. As we prepare our hearts for, for communion this morning, I'd, I'd like to ask that, that all of us just do, a, just do a time of honesty before the Lord. And if you're here today and you've never taken a step to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never moved into that that area of stepping off of your self-righteousness and trusting in your work, your merit before the Lord and realizing your spiritual bankruptcy and your desperate need for a Savior, it's simply a matter of first recognizing it, then repenting, repenting of your sin, turning to the Lord Jesus and receiving the free gift of salvation. He died in your place paid it in full. You can't do anything about it except receive the free gift. You, gotta, you have to lay it down. But if you're here today and you are like I was, I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly what you're going through. I can speak exactly to what is going on in your heart right now because I was there. And it is the scariest prayer you'll ever pray because up until this point, You've been holding on, you've been building, you've been making all of the decisions 
but you know where those decisions have gotten you. And don't be deceived. If you are living a life outside of the will of God, he is not blessing your life. The enemy might be trying to deceive you, but if you want God to totally bless all that is going on, you need to surrender and give it to him. I don't know what that means for you, and you won't right away either, but trust me, you will not regret it. Scariest prayer, but it's the most glorious prayer, and I know there have to be some of you in here today that know I'm speaking to you. So if that is you, again, it's time to just get real before the Lord. And for all of us, as we prepare for communion, it's just a time to bring our hearts before the Lord. So let's do that now. Father, thank you. Thank you for your amazing love for us. That while we were yet sinners, you sent your son to die for us. Jesus, we, we gather here.